This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Night fans, so sorry you missed the live show, but this replay is brought to you by Gordon and Partners. Gordon and Partners are dedicated to the pursuit of justice for those who've been wrongfully injured at no fault of their own. It's important that you get legal advice directly from somebody you trust, which in our case is Michael Hoffman, a UCF alum. Contact Michael directly at 407-913-5350 or visit the website fortheinjured.com. Don't just trust anybody. Trust a fellow knight. Trust Gordon in Partners for the Injured. Hello, Night Nation. Trace Trelko here. This is the Sons of UCF Live. Let's welcome in Adam and Mike. Guys, not used to seeing you on a Tuesday night. How about those CFP rankings? My goodness, Trace. I was watching that thing, and I went right to line 25. I was like, ah, Louisville. Line 24, Cincinnati. And I thought it was over. And I happened to glance up, and I was like, does that say UCF at 22? I, I am absolutely shocked. I uh, I am surprised, but I will absolutely take it all day long. We have a second chance, baby. Just when they thought we were out, we're back. It's like I've always said about the CFP guys. They know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, Thank they you guys. hours in every week. They, they yeah. evaluate every team. They, they, they go over every stat you can think of, and they get it right every single time. I've always said that. So here we are, and they got it right again. Number 22. I'm surprised we're not number 18. So we can get rid of the CFP hates the Knights. Um, ESPN hates the Knights. Mike Oresco has a role in what's going to happen next. Can we get rid of those things, at least for one night? Eh, half of them. I don't trust that Oresco. <laughs> well, I do believe that ESPN has a role. I mean, they do run the, the whole thing. And you think they really wanted a rematch of Cincinnati and Tulane the next week after this week? So maybe that had a little thing to do with it, and we got a little help this time. And we get a little P5 bias a year early. I'm going to take it. And no Coastal Carolina in there, so it means the winner of that AAC championship game. Of course, there's a lot of ifs still have to happen. UCF still has to win Saturday in Tampa and then Tulane at Cincinnati uh, on Friday. But the uh, winner of uh, that will host the AAC championship game. And then, and then that means uh, Cotton Bowl in the future. Who'd have thunk it just uh, a few hours ago? 
Yeah, I mean, look, we've, if we learned anything, Trace, let's just take this one game at a time here. Let's beat the Cows on Saturday. Let's win that thing convincingly and then worry about those next steps. I think we've already got caught looking ahead just a little bit, and we've seen it bite us twice now with ECU and college game day coming, and then with Navy and the, the ability to host, host a conference championship game. Let's just take this one thing at a time. Let's just beat the Cows. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Cotton Bowl yet. We'll have a whole month to think about the Cotton Bowl if we win the championship game. If we get to the championship game, we need to win this week first and, and win in convincing fashion still for me to be happy. I know where you stand on this convincing fashion thing. It's interesting because we this first time we've been on a Tuesday night, men's basketball Wednesday, of course, Thanksgiving Thursday. I think this is the first time on a Tuesday night. I'm not used to coming on the heels of your podcast. You know, there's so much angst and rage and talk of Navy and it, it was bringing me down. And now there's wind in the sails. I'm not going to lie to you, Trace. After I, I finished that episode, I, I put it out, and I was like, I don't know if we solved anything there. I don't know if we really informed anybody of anything. I don't really know if we did anything illuminating other than just yell about Navy for a little bit. So I don't really know, but hope, hopefully people enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad we spent all that time breaking on the tiebreakers. <laughs> yeah, what happens if there's a three-way tie? When it really means nothing now. We win, and we're in. Simple as that. Not going to lie, I reached out to our first guest tonight and said, hey, can you hop on for a few moments and help us understand all of the complex tiebreaker rules? And now maybe we don't need to do so much of that. Let's welcome in Jason Beattie. He covers the UCF Knights for the Orlando Sentinel. Jason, whew. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to explain it either uh, because that <laughs> would be quite complicated. I was on the radio the other day with Brandon Kravitz at 96.9. And I explained it all. And I, at the end, I said, did you get that? And he goes, honestly, you lost me at Billingsley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which of those four polls that could have been used as tiebreakers do you think had the best mid-90s uh, website? Oh, well, the Collie Matrix, the colors, and, and just the font. I mean, it really looked like out of a, you know, what you'd think the future websites would look like, you know, back in the 90s and what they look like now. I mean, some of the websites just... I don't know when they would have even updated. I mean, you're talking about not finding out who you're going to play on Saturday or until Sunday, actually. Uh, and now UCF's going to know Saturday night because Cincinnati and Tulane play on Friday. So I, I just can't believe we actually would have been in a world where those computer ratings would have had a major impact on a title game for a conference like the AAC. All right, Jason, how shocked were you to see UCF at 22? I think we were all really surprised. What was your What were your thoughts when you saw that flash on the screen? I just kind of assumed they, if they were to be ranked, they would have been at 25. I mean, I understand Navy almost beat Notre Dame the week prior. I, I did just read a quote from Boo Kerrigan, who's the chair of the CFP. Uh, this was provided by Matt Rochelle, who hopped on the conference call with Boo. And he said, basically, the fact that the UCF only dropped two spots, that says that committee actually respects UCF, which that would have been shocking to hear in 2017 or 2018, the fact that the committee does respect the fact that UCF is 2-0 against current top 25 teams. Uh, Navy almost did beat Notre Dame the week prior, so clearly just because Navy only has four or five wins doesn't mean they're this awful team. Um, I think the committee recognizes the fact that it, it's a Navy team that is more talented than their record shows. And for UCF, I still think you have to remember they look at the whole body of work as opposed to just one result because the CFP rankings tend to be less reactive, I think, compared to the AP poll or the coaches poll, where those really take in different results. I mean, it's so hard to rank, I think, 18 through 25. I mean, we were talking, Trace and I, on Monday. You know, it would be interesting to see who's 26 through 30. We needed to see the next four out because I'm curious about that. We've seen a tough loss now to Navy this past week. 
with everything all set up for us, winning we're in, if we were to lose to the cows this mm. week, I've been saying it myself. Is that a fireable offense for Gus Malzahn? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I, I understand why a lot of people inside the UCF fan base would want that. Uh, but I think stability entering the Big 12, understanding who Gus Malzahn is, obviously UCF would still be going to a bowl game potentially against a Power 5 opponent. Look, I think a lot of the UCF fans weren't too happy with how last year went until they beat the Gators in the Gasparilla Bowl. And now you're thinking that's you know one of UCF's bigger wins. So I really think, yes, it would be extremely frustrating for UCF fans. And obviously a lot would want Gus's you know job to be lost. But um, you know I, I still think you need to look at a bigger picture, think long-term, think recruiting, think Big 12, and understand that you know there's there's more at stake than just one game. As we still try to make sense of the inexplicable loss to Navy on Saturday, a couple of press conferences didn't do anything to clarify matters. You had Coach Gus Malzahn saying uh, maybe JRP's shoulder is a little gimpy, and then Chip Lindsey, the offensive coordinator, contradicts that a bit on Sunday night. And I guess JRP is our quarterback. Uh, now on Tuesday night, uh, how do you make sense of the uh, maybe contradictory quotes that we heard this week? Yeah, I think it, it was really surprising when we were sitting there Sunday night and and Chip Lindsay kind of said, no, 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 no. That wasn't because of his shoulder injury. That was because he was throwing from one sideline to the other sideline. And, you know, I, I think we joked with Brandon Helbig, basically, would would John Rice Palmate even made that type of throw accurately if he was 100% healthy? And obviously, he's not. Clearly, they wouldn't have taken him out. But you also have to wonder if he was so injured, why did they play him in the first half? That's, you know, we don't know enough information internally what, what the discussions were and whatnot. But I do think despite all the contradictions and the back and forth on, you know, why he was benched, and I think what Gus said on Monday is the clearest thing. And it remains to be true this entire season. John Rice Pullman is UCF starting quarterback, if healthy. Uh, and we saw that when he, you know, had suffered a concussion and sat out in Memphis. Despite Mikey Keene delivering a big road win, John Rice Pullman was the starting quarterback. So this is a decision maybe – He's a little bit stubborn. Maybe he's a little too loyal, but it's the decision that they made in the preseason, and they're going to stick by that if he's ready to go on Saturday. Not to mention, he threw the ball 18 times in that first half, Jason. We'll leave that one alone for right now. Obviously, a big game on Saturday. The last time we're playing the Cows for the foreseeable future. What are your kind of thoughts and emotions? You've obviously you went to UCF. You've covered this for a long time. What are your thoughts as you kind of see this rivalry kind of end up? And is it something you think at some point these two, th- two teams should revisit? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think when you talk about why this is the last game for the foreseeable future, you really understand, you know, the the philosophy differences in Danny White and the ADs that USF has had and the way they schedule games and, and what games they're willing to schedule. That's one stark difference between these two programs. Obviously, you talk about the on-campus stadium and now USF now is an indoor all of a sudden, but an indoor practice facility that UCF had for a long time and the recent winning and obviously USF did a lot of winning in the mid-2000s and whatnot, but the tides have turned and UCF has an all-time series lead. I think when you look at Terry Mahajer's philosophy and what he, who he wants to schedule once they're in the big 12, keeping USF in the cycle makes a lot of sense. I mean, just based on his words alone, you know, they want to play in-state regional matchups where they don't have to travel a lot, especially in years when you're going to go to BYU or West Virginia or Iowa state, uh, you know, potentially in one season. So I think when you look at, you know, keeping FAU in the mix, you know, keeping USF one possible because of that rivalry uh, is interesting. But I think you listen to guys like Sam Jackson and those players, Anthony Montalvo, who have been around the program for a long time. They've been through these games. 
Um, they understand the importance of a rivalry like that. And, you know, I think a lot of UCF fans might be upset with this, but I, I think UCF should schedule USF in the future. Say everything goes to plan this week. We take care of business against South Florida. We have to go on the road for the championship game, either Cincinnati or Tulane. Having watched this team all year, do you think we have what it takes to go win a road championship game? Uh, Cincinnati would definitely be the tougher of the two opponents, I think. I understand the Tulane-UCF score was closer than uh, you know the, the final score, really. I thought Tulane scored a, a bit too easily in their last drive there. And when they didn't go for the onside kick a couple of weeks ago, that was pretty surprising. But uh, you look at that atmosphere, I think Tulane fans would probably show up a bit more. But just the amount of UCF fans uh, that can travel to New Orleans, not saying they wouldn't travel to Cincinnati, but because of the size of that stadium, uh, you know, at, at Tulane, it's rather small um, compared to Cincinnati or even UCF. UCF can really make that a home game again. And I think when you have that advantage, it does a lot. I mean, it's it's a really small stadium. You can hear a lot on the sidelines in the field. And the energy in that building would probably be a bit different compared to a program like Cincinnati that made the college football playoff last year. And that that's won multiple conference titles in a row now. So um, I understand they beat Cincinnati, obviously, at home. But on the road, that's that's a different task. Let you go on this one, channeling my inner Brandon Helwig. What's your favorite Thanksgiving side dish, Jason? Man, I, I really love a good uh, mashed potatoes and gravy side dish. I, I think it's hard to mess mashed potatoes up and a good gravy with that on the side. Uh, you eat too much of that, you, you're going to be sleeping on Black Friday. So <laughs> I just think that's such a, you know, maybe that's a boring answer. Maybe someone would go stuffing or, uh, you know, some sort of souffle on the side, but can't go wrong with mashed potatoes and good gravy. No boring answer there. A little bit more than Gus would give you. Hey, at least I gave you food. (laughs) That's right. Uh, See you in Tampa. Jason Beatty covers the Knights for the Orlando Sentinel. We are thankful for you, sir. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. All right, guys, you feel better? I'm just so glad that we don't have to sort through, as you did, the various polls and the rankings and and all of that. And who are these people that that put up these polls and, and they're considered credible by the AAC. It's, it's a little bit. I just want to know, how do we get a Suns UCF poll working next year? How do we become an official selector for one of these things? I think we got enough smart people in our audience. I'm sure Mario's in. I'm sure we can get some other. Andy seems like an evil genius. I feel like we can get our own <laughs> Suns UCF poll working here next year. I think that's a, that's a new show, a new show goal at this point. What about watch list? We need watch Mike, Mike watch list. Our own very, our very own watch list. <laughs> Uh, sure, I can type one up. I mean, just give me a list of everybody that plays every position, and boom, you're all on the list. Oh, goodness. Uh, when I opened up the mailbag a little bit earlier on Sunday because of the Tuesday show at Always UCF Night said, no question right now, I'll listen for the therapy. And that's what I expected between your show that dropped earlier today and, and this show, trying to make sense of that Navy game. And I'm still in the – it didn't make much sense to me at all. Yeah, there's a lot of questions I still have. You you touched on it with Jason. Obviously, the quarterback change seems really interesting, right? You know, was Plumley hurt? Was he not hurt? Mikey came in, just seemed off. Didn't seem like they had a big connection. Uh, and, you know, drive down the field the first time, score touchdown. And after that, nothing but three and outs. Something wasn't clicking. I don't know if we tried to make adjustments. I don't know if the adjustments didn't work. Um, something just seemed off. I, you know, Gus was really worried about me being there at 11 a.m. I think he maybe should have worried more about the, the, the players being there at 11. But we're going to do a breakdown show this week. I have Andy. Uh, we're going to record tomorrow night. So looking to get more details from Andy and his his mind and what he sees on the film. Uh, but something wasn't clicking on offense, Trace. And to only score 14 points against Navy, just 
I, I would not have believed that if you told me that, you know, prior to that game. And and yet it happened and we all saw it. And, and I'm still dumbfounded as to what transpired. And 14 points. And that's not even two touchdowns. It's really not. No. Right. It's two field goals that accounted for six. Yeah. I made fun of Miami a few weeks ago for taking four overtimes to get to 14 points. I forget who they were playing. But we got spoiled for so long around here, scoring over 30 points a game for how many games in a row? Right. And now these last couple of seasons, it's like, eh. Kind of back to a slower paced, and we do can't even say slower paced offense because we do speed it up, but we're just not putting as many points on the board for whatever reason. Let's talk about this quarterback thing a little bit more, Adam. You pointed out what, how many throws did John Rice Plumley make in that first half? Eighteen. Eighteen, right? And we saw that pass to end the first half uh, that looked a little bit wobbly, and then Mikey Keene comes out, and again in the post game, Coach Malzahn says, eh, you know, his his arm he fell funny the week before. He makes a change of course. He comes back out for the two-point conversion, so he was good there. So, you know, these were questions that were coming to offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey during the Sunday night media availability. And let's uh, hear from him. So he's got the sore shoulder. He doesn't come out to start the second half, but he comes in for the two-point conversion. Mm -hmm. So how does – I'm trying to understand, was it his arm as a factor? You said that Mikey gave you a spark. That was his role to play that that position. The same thing worked all year. It's a two-point play. Okay, enough to do that. So they did. What do you make of that, Adam? It was his role, Trace. If I'm going to be um, give him the benefit of the doubt, my assumption is that that's a play they practice throughout the week. Plumley was the guy making the making the pass, and that's kind of how they practice it. So they decided to call that play because they felt like that was their best play. Plumley had already run it a bunch. Maybe Mikey didn't run it. If you remember, it was a little reverse back to the quarterback situation. Maybe they thought JRP would have a little bit more of a opportunity to trick the defense because he's more of a running quarterback than Mikey Keene. Uh, but look, I think we all we all know what's going on here, right? Just the three of us talking. We all know. I don't. I don't know how injured Plumley's shoulder really was. Maybe it's sore. Maybe it hurts a little bit. But which guy in that team doesn't have something sore right now? Uh, I, I think the next question you ask us about a spark and that word spark, I think, is probably more instructive of what the decision was made for. They didn't even say which shoulder it was. How do we know it, it wasn't his left shoulder, shoulder that's a little sore? Mm, <laughs> was not asked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the follow-up question. So, yeah, no problem throwing that little three-yard pass. Um, I, I don't believe any of it. I, I think what it was was he saw that Plumley was having a bad game. We've asked this question all year. Would he have the guts to pull him from a game? I think he saw that he was having an off game, and he did it. And it paid off right away. And then he, he had to keep Keen in, and then Keen couldn't do anything else after that. And we, we, we saw the results of that. So, so of course, that's what uh, offensive coordinator Chip Lindsay said on Sunday night. Then you have the Monday media availability. And, of course, it comes up again trying to make sense of what Gus said Saturday after the game, what Chip Lindsay said Sunday. And then there's this from Gus. Sunday night, Coach Lindsay indicated that Mikey came in to provide a bit of a spark. Was that also a factor in the decision to bring Mikey in? When you yeah, came? I mean, I think, like I said afterwards, um, you know, it looked like you know John Rice wasn't completely healthy right there. We felt like we needed a spark. He provided that spark. Hmm. So it's both things, <laughs> right? Not healthy and a spark. And do we have a quarterback controversy? No. Then he rules out. Hey, JRP's my my starting quarterback. What what do we have now going into week twelve here? We we've got half yeah. a quarterback each here. I mean, I, I think some of the fan base and certainly you guys on the show this week. Uh, maybe a little luster lost on uh, Mikey Keene now after the performance in the second half. 
it's not even so much that true. Somebody has got to keep me honest on this one because maybe I'm misreading this. Maybe this is a media concoction. Maybe it's a fan concoction. But I feel like since we went all the way back to fall camp, this quarterback thing has been looming over the season, right? We were going to get a starter like week one into camp, Gus said. I'm going to name a guy. I'm going to get my guy. We're going to go. That didn't well, that happen. went on. That went on like three or four weeks, right? Then Plumley kind of gets announced. You hear the rumblings that that was a little surprising. Folks thought maybe Mikey had won the job. Okay, no problem, right? We don't see Mikey. He's basically in mothballs for six weeks. We roll him out. He wins a game against Cincy. He wins a game against Memphis. Then all of a sudden, JRP's back in. Now somebody's injured. It just feels like, and again, if I'm concocting this as a, as a fan, as a media member, maybe I am, Chase. It feels like since day one, since we've had these two quarterbacks, this has been nothing but just a, an albatross over the entire team. Mismanaged, maybe some might say. Not handled appropriately, some might say. But it just feels like this has been a thing all year long. And here we are, last game of the year, and we're still talking about it. And I don't know what that what that says about Gus as a leader. I don't know what that says about him as a coach. But here we are, last week of the season, and we're still asking, who do you think is going to play quarterback? That can't be good. He finally said it for the first time all season. The words, Plumley is the starting quarterback. Every other week it was, well, we got two guys that we can win with. He kept giving us that line every week. Finally, coming into this game, he's saying John Rice Plumley is the starting quarterback. We only have one regular season game left. Does he stick with that? If, if Plumley doesn't look good against the Cows, is he starting in the championship game? Well, you bring up an interesting, interesting point right there, right? Uh, Mikey Keene has now seen action in three games, right? I don't think anybody thought that we would need to see him in the Navy game. You know you have the final game uh, in Tampa – and you know you have a bowl game. Uh, you can play in one more game, and then you get into that whole red shirt issue. But, of course, you've now seen John Rice Plumley be concussed, uh, come out of a game, miss a game, uh, now come out of part of, you know, half of a game here. Um, it does make you question uh, where things are going, Adam. It's still up in the air, questions about quarterback. I'm not reporting this. I'm, I'm I'm just speculating on this, right? I think everyone assumes at this point, Mikey is probably looking for his next opportunity that we all assume he's going to hop in the portal. I don't think he sticks around for the bowl game. I think the portal is going to be wild this year, right? You can hop in right after the conference championship game. You're going to see a lot of guys enter the portal. I think Mikey probably hops in similar to what we saw last year with Dylan Gabriel. You hop right in after the last game of the year, you get your name in the portal. I don't even know if Mikey would be available for a bowl game at this point, but it's probably not in his best interest to be available, frankly, right? It's probably his best interest to go find that next school. So really you're looking at, do we need him for the cow game or any potential championship game we may play? And at that point, if he's not available as a second string, Thomas Castellanos has already played four games. So who's our backup? Will Bone, mm -hmm. come on down. We're, we, we all wild Bowser all the time. I mean, that's where it gets really interesting. Ryan O'Keefe, R.J. Harvey. I mean, they, you know, in case of R.J. Harvey, didn't run much in the second half, so he'd be available. He's fresh. He should be okay. Mike, how could they not continue to run the ball at least a little bit, right? They, they just kind of abandoned things. Yeah, Harvey was averaging 6.5 yards a carry. Bowser was averaging 6.5 yards a carry. And we only ran the ball, what, 17 times between those two guys. I, I know Navy was supposed to have a good run defense. That was the strength of their defense, but they didn't look that good to me. We were running it right up the middle on them, and they couldn't stop it. And it made no sense if you have a quarterback with a hurt arm, why you're not still running the ball. Adam, you mentioned earlier Andy, who's been doing some great work with you. Uh, you can find that on the Suns YouTube channel, breaking down the plays and breaking down the games. I asked on my uh, Twitter question at Seinpez, who's most responsible for UCS loss to Navy play calling or player execution? A narrowly play calling over player execution. Little teaser for you. Andy says players didn't execute the game plan. 
This is a tricky one, Trace, because I think execution obviously always makes a play look foolish, right? Like I think every coach assumes it's going to work until it doesn't. I would I would factor in, I would go to the play calling side and I'm, I'm more lumping it under the coaching element because clearly there were things that were not working with what we were calling. And it didn't feel like we had any adjustments. Again, spoiler alert, some of the clips that Andy's shown us already that we've kind of dissected a little bit. It looked like Mikey may have missed a couple RPO reads, right? He should have handed the ball off, didn't hand the ball off. And all of a sudden, number one for Navy looks like Lawrence Taylor in the backfield, right? That happened more than one time on, on Saturday. And so I, I wonder how much of that could have been an adjustment to the sideline. How much of that could have been Guster Chip saying, hey, we, we got we to change this up there. We can't run that RPO anymore. Oh, we got to slide somebody over. And so I don't know if it's play calling as much as I want to I want to factor an adjustment to that, too, because I feel like after a while, Tracy, you were at the game. Mike, you saw it on TV. I'm standing in the cabana. Yes, I was standing. I'm in the cabana. And I could see Navy blitzing from where I was. I, don't, I can't imagine that Gus and Chip couldn't figure out how to, how to scheme that up at all. The execution part is pretty obvious on a couple big plays. The third downs by the goal line both times. The, the throw behind Johnny Richardson was a terrible throw. He lo- he walks into the end zone if he catches that. And R.J. Harvey drops the ball right in his hands. Another touchdown. We scored two touchdowns there instead of field goals. We're up at or we're tied at the half. And then maybe we take the lead. And Navy didn't do anything against us in the second half offensively. We probably win that ballgame. Yeah, you opened the door there, Mike, on defense. you got to give the defense credit. 250-some yards uh, that they uh, gave up to Navy. Of course, they Navy went down the field on that first drive and scored. Uh, they shut out on the third downs. But that fourth down play, boy, their offense, the way it is, if you can just get third and fairly short, that fourth down was an automatic, wasn't it? I mean, even when they were like third and long, they just ran the ball again and then punted. Uh, they were effective in those uh, very short yardage situations. Yeah, yeah I mean, four and four, you knew they were going for it on fourth every time. All they needed to get was two yards and it was going to be a first down. Yeah, it, it's death by a thousand paper cuts, right? You know what's coming. They're going to get you three yards, three more yards, two more yards. And when it was fourth and one, fourth and two, you knew where they're going for it. Uh, and and every time you, you knew they were going to get the surge, it seems like we weren't prepared. Um, one of the things I'm curious to see, and Mike pointed this out on the podcast, it was a fourth and one. We had nobody over the center on defense. Don't know if that was a schematic issue or something we missed, but it seemed like that was going to be automatic. But that's what Navy does. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. Well, a week ago, we talked about bowl projections. They had, of course, UCF hosting an AAC championship game. Uh, assumption that they win, they go to the Cotton Bowl, be top 20 ranked, uh, just uh, you know, a couple losses there. And then you lose that Navy game, and everything goes out the window now on the bowl projections. Interesting to see what happens now with the CFP ranking. But CBS Sports has the military versus NC State. Uh, ESPN's got Fenway versus Wake Forest or Armed Forces versus Kansas. 24-7 Independence in Shreveport versus Louisiana. And my favorite, Action Network, they've got us here in Orlando in the Cure versus Western Kentucky. It would seem to me now that uh, unless they stub their toe in Tampa, that a better bowl perhaps is in the mix. Uh, Certainly they won't uh, fall down to the Cure. Yeah, I, again, at this point, like, I want to think about, like, the bowl. I think some of this is on me, right? Because I started making travel plans. I was booking hotels. Did you, we did just you need... keep your hotel in Dallas, or have you canceled? I, I refuse to answer that question. Uh, I, I think we just got to <laughs> win this game against the cows, and then we'll figure everything else out from there. Just listening to those bowls tells you I cannot wait until next year when we're out of this conference, and we have some better bowls to look forward to. I, there's nothing good out If you don't make the Cotton Bowl, you're in a crappy bowl. Mike, Independence Bowl versus Louisiana or a World Cup game at 4 a.m.? 4 a.m.? I mean, they don't conflict with each other, but I'm not waking up at 4 a.m. to watch soccer. So. What I'm saying is if you got to choose one, which one are you, you watching? I, 
Oh, I mean, it's a UCF game. Football. I'm watching. I, I watched the Cure Bowl when we played Arkansas State. I, if we're in a game, I'm watching that game. Well, we're talking about the war on I-4 rivalry, which UCF leads 7-6, a chance to, to ice that there at 8-6 on Saturday. Let's uh, let's talk about the cows a little bit more with our next guest, Kenny Morales, sports reporter and anchor, Spectrum Bay News 9 in Tampa. Kenny, welcome into the Sons of UCF Live. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, full disclosure. You know, we have a lot of integrity here at mm -hmm. uh, Sons of UCF. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny's a UCF alum working in Tampa, and am I correct here? You, you do a podcast on our friends over there at USF? I do. If you want to call it that, we don't put it on like Apple Podcasts or anything. I, I do it with uh, my buddy Will Turner, who's the beat writer for the Bulls 24-7 site. And basically, we, we Zoom record it, and we just chit-chat for 20, 30 minutes or so uh, about USF football. And we post it on our uh, webpage here at Spectrum Bay News 9. And then, you know, once in a while, if we got the time, we'll also post you know, maybe like a two- or three-minute clip. Uh, onto our broadcast as well, which is uh, weekly uh, every night at 10:30. So, obviously, having a lot of haven't had a lot of good things to talk about with South Florida football, but uh, certainly a lot of headline-worthy stuff recently with the the firing of Jeff Scott and and now with the potential final war on I-4. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. A couple months ago, there were hopes, right, that a bowl game might be in the in the, the sites there for South Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, what what do you think is has gone wrong that leads to the firing of Jeff Scott? <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, where do you start? You got plenty of time. Uh, Take your time. Take your time. It's, Adam it's can type bullet points if you need on, on screen. Yeah, I, I feel like I need like a PowerPoint slideshow here to go through everything. It's, I think it's a multitude of things, right? I think obviously Scott came in here and was dealt a really tough hand his first year being the COVID year. Tough for any head coach to deal with, let alone a first-year head coach. Uh, Charlie Strong left the program in pretty tough times. Um, not a lot of talent on that roster. And then, obviously, first two seasons were, were you know, one-win season followed with a two-win season. And I think most fans, and, and I would say this as a media member, I thought, okay, year three, maybe they'll take a good step forward here. I, I don't think anybody, you know, Bulls-wise thought, oh, you know, eight or nine-win season. But I think I, for one, thought, okay, maybe they could flirt with Bull eligibility. It's a really tough schedule, but I thought with the additions of, you know, like specifically Gary Bohannon, a, a veteran quarterback who showed that he could win at the Power 5 level, I thought – bringing him him, bringing in a guy like Travis Trickett as an OC who's proven he can put up a lot of yards, a lot of points. I thought they could get maybe five and seven, maybe six and six if they were getting a little lucky. And then I covered that BYU game, and it was pretty quick. <laughs> Quickly, everything turned sour, and it was like, oh, okay, we're back to this again. It's just they, they seem to figure it out a little bit offensively. The offense isn't that bad. Um, obviously, it's different now with Bohannon out for the year, but – they just never – Scott could never get it right on defense. Whether it was Glenn Spence last year as the D.C., they go ahead and fire him. They bring in Bob Shoup, a guy who's been around college football for 20, 30 years, something like that. And somehow the bar was already pretty low for that defense, and somehow it's even worse. I, this defense is on pace to be the worst in FBS. I think they're bottom – like in FBS in total defense, scoring defense. They're one of the worst in rushing defense. They're one of the worst in terms of total sacks. They don't really uh, create a lot of turnovers. They just cannot get anything right on that side of the ball. And that's really been the biggest issue, I would say, in the Jeff Scott era. Obviously, offensively, they had their woes as well. But it seemed like maybe halfway through the year, they were starting to get some things right when it comes to the offense. Quick follow-up for you. Might things have turned out differently had they not gone Bo Hannon, but it instead stayed with Timmy McClain? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, McLean obviously had a familiarity with the offense. That That's one thing he had on, on Bohannon. You know, in fact, Bohannon also, you know, remember he came in after spring ball. But 
uh, look, they they felt comfortable with Bohannon. He he flashed a lot during you know uh, you know fall camp and whatnot. He he had the better stats going through the, the scrimmages and everything. And you know the the Jeff Scott and I think that the, the coaching staff knew like whoever they picked there, they knew the other guy was going to transfer. And I think they were okay with McLean, the idea of McLean leaving, specifically because they like Bohan a lot, and also because of the guy they have now at QB one, Byron Brown, a, a true freshman out of North Carolina who, you know, McLean obviously for them was, you know, possibly their future. Well, now he's gone. They must really believe in this kid, Brown, who, you know, made his first start last week against Tulsa. And I know they lost the game, but he did pretty dang good. He was 21 to 25. I believe he completed his first 21 passes, which was a record. I think last set in like 2016 or something like that. Some dude from Middle Tennessee State. And he got the ball out quick, really didn't make any any mistakes. And I'll give credit to him and to Travis Trick at the OC there. They racked up almost 500 yards of offense, which was a season high for them, and 42 points, which I think tied a season high. They put up 42 against Howard. Um, so they're figuring out something there, and, and I think they got something there with, with Byron Brown at quarterback. Obviously, Kenny, looking for a coach now for uh, for the Cows. A lot of rumors about Deion Sanders, so kind of a two-parter. A, mm -hmm. do you have any belief? Do you think that's credible at all that Deion may, it may be an option for the Cows? And B, where would you like to see them go as they think about their next head coach? So I, I think there is some validity, validity there. I mean, we saw 24-7 Sports uh, talk about it and, and put a report out that the Bulls had been in conversations with Dion. I, I don't think um, it's in the cards for USF simply because I think Dion's due for a Power 5 job, man. I think he's just done so many good things at Jackson State. And and his level alone, like the the, the bravado he has, the, the, the power his name alone has, I think he's due to go Power 5, whether that's Colorado or Georgia Tech or whatever it is. It's going to be – I know neither of those two programs are, by any means, great programs historically, but they're going to be able to pay more, and I think Dion's probably eyeing more for a job like that. Personally, if, if I were USF, and I said this to Will when we were doing a podcast, the podcast like a week or two ago, I think they should go after a guy like Willie Simmons, who's at Florida A&M. Uh, I covered Willie when he first got to Tallahassee, and uh, for those who don't know, the FAMU program was – in like a dumpster fire. I mean, they, they just struggled for years. They didn't have a winning season since like 2011 or something like that. He got there and immediately they had their first winning season. Uh, they went six and five. And since then they've gone, what, like nine and two, nine and two, nine and two, beat their rival Bethune Cookman a bunch of times. Um, you know, we're nationally ranked for the first time in a number, a number of years, got into the FCS playoffs. He's a guy that not only knows how to win ball games, uh, which Jeff Scott was not able to do here, but also knows how to recruit and knows how to get after their kids in the transfer portal. You look at that FAMU roster, there are so many Power 5 kids on that roster, especially a lot of Power 5 kids from Florida schools, like Florida high schools, whether it's uh, they got a kid from Pittsburgh, A.J. Davis. He was a running back, four-star kid out of Lakeland. Got a lot of Polk County kids on that team. They got a guy from Louisville, a guy from Bama. I mean, you name it. He, he knows how to, to get the transfer portal kids and – recruit high school kids, especially the Bay Area, which obviously has a ton of talent as well as Central Florida and, and South Florida as well. This UCF-USF rivalry, not that old. This is only the 14th meeting, but the fans really hate each other <laughs> in this rivalry, right? I love Both that. ways. Now, with us moving on to the Big 12, we're not going to play you guys anymore. Do you get a sense that the, the South Florida fans are going to miss us a little bit? I mean, they're going to be stuck playing FAU every year. That's the biggest game. I think so. And, and honestly, like coming from a, a UCF alum, I'm going to miss it. You know, and look, I understand like UCF fans are 
are excited to go to the Big 12 and, you know, and move on to, to greener pastures. But and look, the, the budding rivalry with Cincinnati, if you want to call it that, call it that is is exciting. But it's not the same as USF. It's not the same that you can't beat the geography, the history. I know there's not a ton of history, but I, I just it, it it sucks. You know, it sucks to, to see that rivalry disappear for for the time being. Obviously, we don't know what the future holds, but um, I think a lot of South Florida fans are, are definitely a little disappointed that this is going to be the last one here. And yeah, like you mentioned, I, I don't think uh, anyone in, in Tampa is stoked to be uh, playing FAU on a regular basis or, you know, Rice. What will Nothing be the new big rival? Is, is it going to be Rice? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, those are both really big <laughs> academic schools, right? Isn't that their uh, claim to fame? Um, no, I, I guess it'd be FAU. I don't know. I mean, that's the only other Florida school in, in the conference, if I'm not mistaken, the, the newly created American, whatever. What's the, what's the direct route there from Tampa to um, Oh, Boca God, you're, ask, you're asking the wrong guy. I Google map everything. <laughs> I, could, I only know how to get from my apartment to my station. That's because it's five minutes away. That's is it considered uh, FAU considered down the street since UCS considered <laughs> up up the street? I guess so, was? right? According to Byron Brown and and the use and the uh, USF team, that was funny. I like that. I think that's great. I, I love when the players get into it, especially a guy like Byron Brown who's not affiliated with Florida whatsoever. He's a North Carolina dude. Talk about their running back: uh, nineteen carries, one hundred sixty nine yards, a thousand yard rusher, Brian Batie. Brian Batie, special man. Um, I know there hasn't been a lot of highlights for this team this year, but. If you had to pick an MVP, it would be that kid. Um, he's a Sarasota kid, uh, was really big in their their um, return game a year ago. Uh, he, I believe he ended the year as a, as a consensus All-American, which was USF's first since like 2007 or something like that. I think George Selvey. Um, but now with the injury to, to Jaron Mangum, who was kind of their you know, RB1 last year, Batiste's been amazing. You know, I think he's their first 1,000-yard rusher in however many years. I compare him to, for, for UCF fans, he reminds me a lot of like an Adrian Killens or uh, the late great Otis Anderson. You know, smaller dude. He's like five eight, maybe a buck sixty five, buck seventy, but just electric, electric playmaker. Anytime you put the ball in his hands, he is bound to make a big play. Whether it's a run up the middle, whether you put him outside, he can catch the ball as well. He's just he's a playmaker. Simply put. All right, Kenny, this is obviously a Saturday night game, not the Black Friday anymore, 7.30. Give me the splits, if you will, of uh, UCF to USF fans at this game. <laughs> I've been wondering about that, honestly. I'm not sure. Because um, I feel like the home crowds have been a little sparse. as of Are late. you eligible for the Taylor Swift tickets and the prize giveaway? Or I hope so. Because media? Or- <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. I don't think I am because I'm media, but like I know my sister and family are going, so maybe they can get in on it because I'm a, I'm a Swifty. I like me some T-Swift. Why not? <laughs> um, I, think, I think it'll be fairly split. Like USF fans are still going to come out because it's the rivalry and, and they don't want fans to, you know, take over their stadium and whatnot. You know, Tampa's home team too. Um but uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be probably still 60, 40 Bulls fans, but I don't know. You could UCF fans. I traveled uh, the other week when I was, uh, I had the vacation and I went with a couple of my buddies uh, to the Memphis game. I thought we had a nice little crowd there. It wasn't by any means, you know, 60, 40 or 70, 30 with Memphis fans, but we had a nice little section of the stadium and we were loud. It was like super impressive. It was my first real road game for UCF as like a, as a fan. And I was I was impressed. And the Tulane game, I didn't go to the Tulane game, but I watched it on TV. You could clearly hear the UCF fans. Uh, that was, I was, I was really, really impressed by that. 
So working in Tampa, you're not afraid to to say that you are a UCF fan, right? Is that it, or do you kind of just yeah. hide behind the uh, media personality? <laughs> no, I mean, I tell I tell USF fans this all the time, man. I like when I'm on the clock and I'm covering your team, I'm gonna be unbiased. Like if USF does great and kills UCF on Saturday, I almost said Friday because I'm so used to that. Um, then I'll be honest about it and be and be straight up. But if I'm off the clock, be prepared for me to to talk a little smack. It's fun, man. Look, you. I understand you want to be unbiased and I am in my reporting, but at the same time I got in this industry because I am a sports fan. I love watching sports and I love the teams that I grew up cheering for. And for me, that was UCF and the Orlando magic, unfortunately, and Orlando city soccer. So uh, if I'm not, you know, reporting on those teams at the time, yeah, I'm going to support them. I'm going to tweet out pictures and, and cheer for them. Why not? We'll let you go on this one. Do you miss Chris Torello? Oh, of course I miss Torello. How can you not miss that guy, man? Chris is great, man. He he still texts me from time to time. He's doing awesome stuff with Habitat for Humanity. We miss him here at, at, at Spectrum Bay News 9 for sure, but I know he's doing great things there over at uh, over at his new gig. And, and congrats to him. He recently just got married to his lovely wife. So a uh, shout-out to him. Poor lady. He was a, he was a good sport <laughs> oh, on, uh, on good Sons man. of UCF Live. Uh, so you fan or media on Saturday night? I am media Saturday. I'm actually media. I thought I thought maybe I could uh, squeak out another UCF game as a fan, but uh, I got scheduled a while back to cover it as a, as a reporter. So looking forward to, to that one. Well, I look forward to seeing you and talking to you, Kenny. And uh, remember, no cheering in the press box. <laughs> of course not. Thank you, guys. Kenny Morales, Spectrum Bay News 9 in Tampa. Thanks for being with us. Of course. Ah, that's tough. That's tough. I don't know. There'd be no way. I, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. No, no. The sons of the cows. <laughs> couldn't do it. No, I don't know what that show's called. Kenny has much more strength as a human than I do. Couldn't do it. <laughs> I'd be fired like week two. Couldn't do it. Uh, so uh, let's get some predictions in on this one. You guys were talking about it on your show. Um, UCF couldn't possibly stub their toe in Tampa, could they? I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. That I tell you what. If we lost this game with the championship game on the line in the final matchup of the War on I-4 to even the series, that's worse than 64-12. I don't care if we lose by one. That is a worse loss with these implications. You cannot lose this game. And just any- to be clear, this is not a hot seat situation for you. This is pink slip buyout. Yeah. I don't want to smell again right after the game in the tunnel. That's right. Yeah. Don't even get back on the bus. Sort of like what Call happened to Donnie Jones when he was coaching UCF. They sort of call an Uber to get back to him on the court. Persona non grata around here. I don't ever want to see you again if you lose this game. All right, final score prediction. Uh, <laughs> give me 64 nothing. That's what I want. Adam? Uh, give me 38 uh, it's too, 30. It's too low. Oh, oh my God! I hope not. <laughs> we can't 30. deal with that. You're, you're you're not trusting the defense there. I mean, I feel like uh, you know every time I think we're going to blow somebody out this year, and I've called for a blowout, it's been a closer game. Every time I thought it'd be a close game, it was Temple. a blowout. That was a blowout. Temple is a blowout. I, Temple. Beat I don't this think I, I don't think I had that that spread this way. So I'm doing the reverse psychology, saying this one's going to be closer, and hoping it was a blowout this time around. So reverse psychology. Forty-seven uh, seventeen. Good guys uh, with a trip to the AAC championship. Yeah, win my morning. Therapy. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, <laughs> I again, I told you a thousand percent with you on this 64-12. I was there. It was horrible. I think that's the last game I left early. 
I, I was just so disgusted. It was terrible. And, well, here's and what I want to. Here's what I want to know, Trace. Obviously, you were at the presser on Monday. You saw Sam Jackson. He was pretty brutally honest about how he felt. Salascar seemed pretty defeated. Obviously, Gus was all kinds of cranky six minutes, and he was out, which is not his typical presser length, right? Clearly, some 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 bad feelings going on there. Now you get a reprieve. Do either of you hope that this is like the spark, to use Gus's word, that we now need to say, okay, we've got second life. You know, we, we, we did not do a great job against Navy. We left it. We left it on the field and we did not play well. Can we see that spark? Is this the opportunity now to say, let's grab the, the literal cow by the horns here and go take this one. Do either of you think that's possible? Yeah, it needs to be. That exactly is, has to be what happens in this situation. Um, <laughs> this is it. And if the whole season up to this point means nothing. Now it comes down to one game. You win this game, and you're right where we wanted to be at the beginning of the season in the championship game. It all depends on Sunday, Saturday night. Yeah, certainly. Uh, they've gotten a reprieve. Uh, they know what's at stake. Uh, they let down. You heard a little bit of Josh Salazar on Monday saying, eh, you know, thinking a little bit too far ahead. Uh, I think they're focused on this week. A healthy John Rice Plumley certainly opens up things, uh, you know, from his running ability. And this team uh, in South Florida, they give up a, a lot of running yards. So it should be run right through them. So shouldn't be close, but uh, you know how UCF keeps things interesting. So uh, Saturday night in Tampa, going to be a lot of people. And by the way, send us in your, uh, where are you tailgating? Uh, Mike and, and I need a place to, to visit and hang out. Uh, well, where's the jello shots? Especially the jello shots. Uh, let us know. Oh, okay. I have an important update. Can I, can I share the important update? I, I saw something happen this weekend that may change Trace's life. Uh, we, we, we did not have a jello shot. We had a pudding shot. Pudding shot. And these things were fantastic, Mike. Smooth, oh my goodness. They were fantastic. Mike, smooth. I saw I saw the love in Trace's eyes as he was glaring <laughs> at the peanut butter chocolate pudding cup. He he was he was smitten. I'm telling you now. Is that just a breakfast tailgate thing? Pudding uh, in the no. For me, uh, I'd like to experiment with that at night and just see how it goes down there. At night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with it at any time. I got to cut. I got to cut that clip out at some point. I had no. the pistachio flavor, Mike, and it was it was delicious. All right, I'd say I'll I'll do a shot. I'll take any kind of shot. I'm not scared. This is typically a you know night game. Put the wife and kids to bed. Go out and you know pillage the town. I'm bringing the wife and kids to this game, so. That's why I'm sitting in the club section. I got to stay away from the riffraff. I don't want to be involved with any of the, uh, you know, the, the extracurriculars that go on in these types of games. I've been to these games before and they've seen plenty of fights. Somebody mentioned the amazing happened during the 64-12 game. I, I, I need to stay away from that, but I'm down for a little tailgate putting shot here and there before the game. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, let's go around the kingdom. What I like about you guys on the show, you know, Adam, you study basketball a lot. You talk about the Knights, you know, the, the, the scoring averages. And, and then Mike, Mike gives you the deep dive analysis. He says, you know, I lit a fire under these guys a couple of weeks ago. And that's been all the difference in the world. That's why they are Bahamar, Bahamas champions. 57-50 win over Santa Clara. They're now 4-1. Uh, the bigger win, obviously, beating Oklahoma State in the opening game in overtime. True freshman Taylor Hendricks, named tourney MVP. Also, you may hear this throughout this coming season, AAC Freshman of the Week. And uh, we spoke with him immediately after the game, and I asked him, how can winning this, what will it mean now for the team? It gives us a, a lot more confidence, but, you know, we're never satisfied. You know, we need these types of wins to build our resume for the for the tournament. So. Mike. Talking tournament. Resume for the tournament. Now, he could have meant AAC tournament. I think everybody gets into that, but 
Maybe he was talking March Madness, huh? Here in November. It's a little early to talk about March right now. Or basketball. Are we back to being a football school or are we a basketball school? We win the next two games. We're a football school again. <laughs> we're a football school again. <laughs> so <laughs> get back to me at, on December 4th in the morning. Um, but I'd love to be both. I'd love for this school to be both. And that's what I've always wanted. I, I've gotten a taste of the dance a couple of times. We got it into it. What was it? 2019, 2018, 19. And we won a game finally after having a couple of appearances with nothing. And I just want to get back to the, where that's a regular occurrence around here. If not every year, but every other year, every three years, I think that's possible. Adam, they're doing this without Darius Johnson. It seems like different guys stepping up every night. Well, I'm, I'm shocked, A, that we've had the same starting five for five straight games. For the last couple of years, it feels like Johnny was always rotating that starting five, some continuity in the starting five. And look, this team is fun, man. Like, they, they get after the ball on defense. They hustle. They, they crash the glass. Uh, you know, a couple of guys are decent shooters. I think we still got to improve our outside shot. Taylor Hendricks has been everything that's been advertised plus more. Uh, that kid is phenomenal. It's a fun team. And maybe this is a situation where I think admittedly, if just talking amongst friends here, we all had lower expectations for the team this year. And when they come out and they play really well, that, that, that's what makes this even more fun for us too. They, they were down 17 Oklahoma State, find a way to come back. This team was fun. I'm, I'm curious to see once you get into the dog days of the conference schedule and you're playing road games at Tulsa and road games at ECU, you know, back to back at Wichita, how they come out and perform. But I'm, I'm very, uh, I told you guys, every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm all in here, Trace. I'm all in. I'm all putting shots. I'm all ready to go. All in. Back home Wednesday uh, against Evansville at 7 o'clock. Uh, our friend John Weiss has got a new article. You'll find that coming up soon on twonightsmedia.com yes. as soon as Adam yes. gets that uh, posted up. And uh, then they've got Miami on uh, Sunday, 5 o'clock. Uh, so, you know, expect them to win against Evansville, their favorite there. A game against Miami will be interesting. They've already defeated Florida State. So, uh, that's a that's a good one uh, for the resume, of course. Really quickly, too, Trace, a, a a listener of the Suns, a faithful listener, has donated two tickets to that game tomorrow night. No one has yet uh, uh, responded or uh, uh, fulfilled all the requirements. So if anybody in the chat here wants to go to the game tomorrow, uh, let me know in the chat, and those bad boys are yours. They come courtesy of a fantastic night fan. So uh, I'd love to make sure somebody else gets a chance to, to hold those seats, enjoy the game. Trace will be out there. Can't confirm putting shots, but at least you'll get to meet Trace. Uh, if there are putting shots available, <laughs> I'd like to know. <laughs> I'd like to know that. Uh, our friends over with One Kid Orlando, you know, Anthony Roberson, Jordan Johnson, they're collecting toys from uh, 2.30 to 4.30 on Sunday outside the arena before uh, the men play Miami. So uh, bring a toy for that good cause. Women, they just wrapped up a win. They're 3-0 and over uh, on under City of Messer, the, the head coach, the new head coach, 78-54 over Louisiana Monroe. They host the Thanksgiving Classic. Uh, Saturday, November 26th, 2 o'clock against Samford, and uh, Sunday, November 27th, 2 o'clock against Southeast Missouri State. So women off to a good start. Volleyball, got a couple of big ones coming up. Uh, Knights ranked 23rd. They swept ECU and Temple. 25-1, 17-1 in the AAC. McKenna Melville, AAC Offensive Player of the Week. That's four straight weeks, the whole month. Uh, she's won that award, and we're going to get to see her. Final two times at home. Uh, they play Tulane on Wednesday before the men's basketball game. And then the big one. Big one Friday. Friday. Yeah. yeah. Friday against uh, Houston. Uh, top 25 matchup. Uh, there's some tiebreaker things involved in that. Uh, the, because the Billingsley? They lost at Houston. And I don't know if Billingsley's involved <laughs> okay. in this, but uh, they, they lost uh, three to one at Houston. So, you know, there's going to be a point differential thing here. Just, it's going to be a big, 
matchup could determine seeding in the NCAA tournament. And then uh, congratulations to women's soccer. The Knights fell in PKs, number one UCLA in the NCAA tournament, nine, two, and seven. Uh, the PKs weren't great in that one, but I'll tell you what was great. We got a very raw emotion from head coach Tiffany Roberts, the Haydack, at a press conference that was 11 o'clock on the West Coast, 2 a.m. Uh, Eric Lopez and I stayed up uh, to talk with head coach Tiffany Roberts, the Haydack. Catch that on the Suns YouTube channel. All right, mailbag time. Roll that sounder. It's that time again. Let's open the Brian W. Peterson Sons of UCF mailbag. I just want to be doing this. I just, that's doing that's it, never way. not going to make me laugh, by the way. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I don't know why. Are we are we We're, keeping that then for a while? It's, it's a just... forever thing. It's a forever thing. Trish. Forever. Okay. Forever. forever All right. We open. And Brian not only intros this segment, he, he has the first question. Uh, if you're Terry, uh, Mohajer, uh, what do you say after losing to three with Navy at home? What do you say to Gus? Costing you the ability to host that conference championship in a home, the home game revenue. What do you what what do you say? This is a tricky question because anybody out there who leads people, sometimes, you know, dumping on somebody who had a bad day isn't always the best strategy. So my advice to Terry would be to sit down with Gus and just look him in the eye and say, What the heck happened out there? Explain to me what happened. Hear Gus's reaction and then tell him if he uh, if he loses to the cows, he can Uber home. Mm. Yeah, you say you blow it. You cost me so much money this Couple week. Million dollars. <laughs> you really blew it, my friend. And that's coming right out of your paycheck. You think you were going to get a bonus? You were going to get a raise? You're going to get a pay raise? We're taking that, that right from Auburn in a direct deposit right over <laughs> to Athletics. You better get to the Cotton Bowl and you better win that sucker now. Uh, at Golden Knight underscore the second. With this loss, the Navy loss being your uh, top eight. I don't know how we got to eight. You guys are a top five kind of group. Uh, Worst home losses. Definitely. I, I definitely. defer you all. You guys were talking about them. I defer all lists to UCF, Mike. Yeah, I that's have. definitely a top eight list. You know what? You think. But now that that game really doesn't affect us, okay. and we can He's back. Game, maybe not. Listen to some of these losses. I have. Furman. Furman. Yeah. In 2015, you got three of them. The Furman, the FIU, and the Cal game to end the year. We got what was three. that? It was like 44 to 3 or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was right after the week East Carolina beat us like 41 to nothing or something. So <laughs> you could put any game from 2015 in there. Um, the 2010 game against Southern Miss, where we were ranked for the first time and blew it the very next week. The 2008 game against UAB, 15 nothing. That was five field nice goals. That was a horrible game. <laughs> Disgusting. You want to go back to the Citrus Bowl for a couple of these? He just says home games. 2006 against Pittsburgh, 52 to six or whatever that was when they returned yeah. the opening kickoff and they just blew us out in the first three minutes of that game. 2005, the championship game against Tulsa, the, the beginning of the curse of Tulsa when they beat us at home. Um, how about 2004 in a winless season, overtime game, Matt Prater, everybody remembers the, the extra point he missed in the Hawaii Bowl, misses an extra point against Ohio. We lose by one in that game. I remember there have been that plenty game. of tough home losses. So this one's up there, but wow. it's up there with those. Why don't I drink more? <laughs> That's a really depressing <laughs> list. Jeez. Jeez. Yeah, some of those. Boy, brought wow. back bad memories. We've talked about this throughout the show. At J Vasquez underscore UCF 13. Gus on the hot seat with a loss. I replied to him directly and said, uh, he's on my hot seat. Now, I'm not ready to fire him like Mike, but uh, there's no doubt about it. And Mike, uh, feel free. If there's a loss, uh, just 
send me some questions that you'd like asked of Gus, uh, and I'll try and phrase yeah, them. Properly. The whole point of the hot seat is to fire somebody. That's what this, the seat is hot from. It's from the fire. You lose this game. I'm going to say it again. You are out, my friend. You're dead to me if you lose this game. Dead to me. It's going to make the shows we do next year very difficult <laughs> if that happens. At M well, underscore M and UCF, if you could get one player for men's basketball to join football for the Cows game, who's the player to line up a tailback and throw his first pass on first and goal from the three after the offense drives down the field? Yeah, that's a lot. Have, There's a lot going on there. Don't we have enough guys playing other sports who play football for us right now? But I'm going to go Taylor Hendricks. He's tall. Oh, Taylor Hendricks. He can see over the defense, I assume. That's the Close second there is, is, is Pooh. <laughs> Our new favorite uh, player. Yeah, sure. Um, all right, Mike, uh, since you're uh, – I don't know where you are on Gus right at the moment. I know where you're going to be if things don't go well Saturday. Robert, at two letters, two words. Great Gus, 8F. Following areas, program builder. Too soon. Yeah, a, a lot of these things. You know, I gave them straight Bs. I see all the categories here. Play designer. B? Yeah, cause, I mean, he designs some nice ones every once in a while, but then we've seen them backfire plenty of times. Recruiter. Still like, a B? Man, yeah, he, he's done a good job recruiting. He hasn't brought in any five stars yet. I mean, that's still maybe in the future. But right now, still, it's only a year or two. Play caller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I'm giving him straight B's. He's a 3.0 wow. student in my book right now. I would, is I would see. I agree with Mike everywhere except for play call. I, I still remember the times we tried a Joey Gatewood in the game, Mike. I still remember like a, a double reverse halfback pass that lost 19 yards against, I think it was Temple. I go but he needed Joey Gatewood to give us Isaiah Bowser at the goal line, right? That's he needed to. So Gatewood crawled so bowser could walk is that what yes. we're doing there okay yeah some of these are too soon and and i asked robert but he said he, he'd only reveal his answers if he came on the show and uh, that's wow. i guess tonight at <laughs> ucf co guy 2018 or 0218 um who do you anticipate and who do you prefer in the quarterback room next season well, what, do you, what do you think is it i mean we've had a quarterback controversy all this season uh, where are we going to go into spring camp? Uh, we don't know. We I assume Mikey Keene goes to the portal. Um, does John Rice Plumley commit to baseball? And is this Thomas Castellanos' team in 2023 in the first year in the Big 12? Yeah, I think that's the big question, Trace. I think we all expect Mikey will probably um, head into the portal, right? I think that boils down to John Rice Plumley. What kind of season does he have? I think he's been pretty transparent that he thinks potentially his future is in baseball. He has a great year and puts up great numbers, and scouts start looking at him. Does he start thinking about maybe that's the path he wants to go down? Uh, if not, I think we've got another quarterback battle with JRP and, and Tommy. And again, don't forget Timmy McLean, who's in the mix. And, who and some knows other guys. Who yeah. Who knows who will bring in from high school that uh, that may play well. Um, so I think we're back at a quarterback battle this same time. Hopefully not this same time next year, but early next year. Mike, at UCF Realist is saying, is Thomas Castellanos the, the true dual threat quarterback? I mean, we haven't seen much of him, but what little we have seen, there's, there's, there's promise for the future. He looked great in the game that he came in. What was it, the Temple game? He, he looked fantastic at the end of that game. Still not enough evidence for me. I, I got to see him do it again. In a, in a game that matters. I mean, remember, there was a time when everybody thought Quadri Drones was going to be the future of the program, too. Did everybody think that? Who thought that? <laughs> Some people thought that. Some people, I believe, thought Daniel that. Daniel Obarski thought that. <laughs> That's too wow, it's too soon. Me. It's too That's soon. Not nice. See you rock solid Dennis. Question, doesn't want to ask it, but T. Will hasn't worn a UCF shirt the last two press conferences. Something to it or nothing, and then 
Gus had some sort of Scott Frost-esque red checkered shirt on at the Monday press. Should we read into clothing choices? Gus has been doing that all year on the Monday presser, though. I don't think he's had UCF garb on any Monday. Uh, no. Post game he does, and and midweek he would. But then if, for a while he was thrown on the player shirts. That's obviously clearly stopped. We're all we're off the NIL bandwagon, where we've gone through all of our Bowser merch at this point. T will is interesting though because he was wearing UCF stuff, so maybe he's a Carolina Panthers fan. T will's gone after this year, guys. Uh, somebody's going to give him a good uh, a nice paycheck, and he may be out of here. But, but if Gus loses Saturday, Timo fires him. You name Travis Williams, right? Your head coach? Or Deion Sanders. Yeah. Oh, you want Deion. You're getting <laughs> in the Deion sweepstakes. There's no way. By the way, when uh, Kenny mentioned Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's a better job than Colorado, right? And, and he's familiar with Georgia. That, that'd be a, a better job. He's not taking that cow job. Why would he take that job? He doesn't need that. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Uh, Andy, this one uh, for you, Mike, at UCFXOS. Who's your favorite all-time UCF special teams returner? The answer is not Mike Hughes, right? Mike Hughes has got to play. But no, Mike, it's not your all-time favorite. No, Mike Hughes probably not even number one or two. Uh, I love Joe Burnett. Smoking Joe is probably my favorite. That's the correct answer. And Quincy McDuffie. McDuffie. I mean, that guy was fantastic. He's the all-time leader. We've been lucky. But you know what? The return game has not been good this season or for the last few years now. Friend uh, of the program follows as part of the Marching Knights media contingent, asking at Eric L. Solberg, and I, I, I haven't been able to watch halftime shows because you don't really hear the sound in the press box. If you've watched any, remember any? What's your favorite Marching Knights halftime show? He got some response to his question on Twitter. Adam, you were at the game. Um, what was their I feared, they played military, I, I, right? Military tunes for military appreciation. I, I feared you were something with this question, Trace. I have no idea. I don't know if I've seen a halftime show in a long time. If it's halftime, I'm usually out getting refreshments or waiting in long line for the uh, bathroom. But I love the marching nights. They do a fantastic job. Uh, I don't have one memorable one there. Thanks for going to me in that, Trace. You know what's funny about when you see the other team's band? They've they got like 50 people. The marching nights roll out with like 300 people. It's, you know, a big... What about you, Mike? You've been to some games. Yeah. yeah. My favorite part about the Marching Knights is the march to the stadium. Yeah, You see them come across campus. They go past Burger U, and they go towards the stadium, and you know it's time. That wasn't, that wasn't the question. It was halftime show. Half-time. That wasn't the question. You know me at halftime. I'm, I'm running to the bathroom, and I'm going to get a couple beers. Yeah, we're, we're clearly not the right audience for this. <laughs> Eric, but, sorry, uh, Eric. My we apologies. thank the Marching Knights for all they do. It'll only be UCF. Will Taylor Hendricks be playing in the NBA next year, or will he transfer? No. I think he wants a year of Big 12 basketball. Uh, to, to really improve his skill set. Yeah, that's the one area where, as a basketball conference, the Big 12 obviously is is well-known and reputed to, to have some really good talent. Um, NBA is so tough to make, though. I mean, there's only 15 spots per team. Yeah, you can get one of those G League two-way situations. I, he's still kind of thin. I think he would probably need one more year. But if he keeps us up, there, there may be a team that takes a chance on size and athleticism. But my, my hope is that he's back wearing black and gold. UCF's black and gold next year. I'd be more worried that he transferred somewhere else. But the fact that we're going to the Big 12 could be a good selling point for him to stay. I don't think he's going to NBA after one year. We're not we're not producing one and dones now, are we? <laughs> not not that kind of one and done, no. Yeah, no, not that Tony kind Johnson, of one. maybe. Not, not this one. Yeah. At Spursy Night always comes with a good question. Top three Thanksgiving sides. As we were All right. Here we go. I got stuffing. This is in no order, by the way. I got stuffing. I love a good biscuit, too, by the way. A nice biscuit, a nice, you know, 
uh, you know, a little, little butter on there, kind of flaky. Give me a nice biscuit. And I'm not sure if this is a traditional side for uh, Thanksgiving. Give me some mac and cheese. Mac and cheese is a traditional side. All right. I didn't know. I don't know what you people do. I'm not trying to judge. <laughs> you yeah. people. I'm a traditionalist, guy. Stuffing you got to have. I got to have a slice of ham in there. Some cranberries. I know you only asked for three, but I, I got to have that. Does gravy count as a side? That's just like a little uh, topping, right? And remind us, would you, for folks that are new to the show, new to you guys, which, and you didn't talk Thanksgiving on your show this week, uh, which of you is the everything's got to be compartmentalized on the plate, and which of you is the everything can go together, it doesn't matter, the gravy can go on the, on the cranberries? Everything oh, yeah. has a place, Trace. I, I want everything just nice and neatly organized. I will, I will go from pile to pile. I don't, I don't, I don't commingle my food together like the heathen that is UCF, Mike. Nice. Slop it all on there on top of each other yeah. and, back and slop it all on again. For Nothing about this is surprising to anybody, by the way. No, no. I, I, I offered that question of which was which, but I thought maybe the folks watching. Well, they, you wait, Trace. Where, where are you at here then? Um, uh, maybe somewhere in between. I, I have a friend who eats, you know, the stuffing and then finishes the stuffing and then moves on to the mac and cheese. So each thing, uh, I'm, I'm a little more organized, but I don't mind some things coming together. <laughs> we got a lot of gastroenterologists in the crowd here this evening, reminding me it all goes to the same place. <laughs> and Manny, I would love a Paw Patrol paint. I am, I am team Paw Patrol. And happy uh, birthday to Manny's daughter. I saw that, uh. I scroll by earlier, Manny. Thanks for being with us this Tuesday night. We're open to Team Thanksgiving Robin. leftovers for the tailgates. Let us know where you're going to be at Ray J as uh, uh, UCF takes over Tampa, Tampa's hometown team too, and uh, hopefully a big win for the Knights, propelling them into that American Athletic Conference championship game. Mm -hmm. By then, of course, we'll know whether the opponent is Tulane at that rematch or at Cincinnati. Uh, in that rematch for this season. So, guys, been good seeing you this Tuesday night. We should be back in our normal time slot next Thursday, live 8 to 9, Facebook, possibly Twitter. Twitter's still going, chugging along uh, today. Checked in the last hour. Maybe, you never know. <laughs> still on Twitter. Uh, thankful for both of you and thankful for all of you who welcome us into your lives. Uh, for Adam and Mike, I'm Trace Trollco. Go Knights! Happy birthday, Sophia, because I forgot to get a sounder, Trace. So happy birthday, Bye. little Sophia. Happy birthday, Sophia. Charge on, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.